Indeed, the soul of man sings out as the great, vast mysteries of space. In hockey. Oh, bring it out there, please. <laughs> hello, hello, test. Hello. Very good, very good, very good, very good. Uh, you know, as you know, from time to time on this little, uh, this little battle that we put on here every night, uh, we uh, take time out to salute things which rarely get saluted at our time. We uh, a couple of weeks ago saluted Bert Parks, a great unsung American. As you know, we also have saluted uh, other people such as Hugh Downs. But it has occurred to me, how come we're getting such a hum here tonight? I'll try something else here. Hello, hello. That's better. Hello. It has occurred to me that uh, we rarely take time out. <laughs> That's just our usual carrier hum. It's uh, occurred to me that uh, we rarely take, you know, this thing sounds worse than my ham rig. I'll tell you, you got open grids and you got mics at home. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. It doesn't make any difference. But uh, it has occurred to me, excuse me, i got to get back to There it goes. There, back to the show. It's occurred to me, friends, if I may repeat myself again, uh, ad nauseum, that uh, we rarely salute little things which mean so much to us in our daily pursuit of happiness. I mean, actual things. How long has it been since uh, any of us have thought what the potato chip means to us? I'd like to salute the potato chip tonight because... Um, if there hadn't been a potato chip, you know, a famous philosopher, G.K. Chesterton, once said, if there hadn't been a potato chip, man would have been forced to invent one. And I think this is true. I would also like to salute bread and butter pickles tonight. Those little thin pickles, you know, that are sliced, without the bread and butter pickle, where would the White Castle hamburger be? So, would you please uh, present me with a little salute music down there? Thank you very much. Reset that, please, if you will. Of course, you know that uh, we are rapidly approaching one of the true cuckoo times of uh, the year, and I'm looking forward with great excitement to it, because uh, every year about this time, there are fantastic, unbelievable, sickeningly sentimental weddings that are being uh, prepared <laughs> in the wings <laughs> at the... I'd like to uh, take account of that right now, and uh, I want to thank somebody who just wrote me a card and said, uh, you are quite right that uh, Earl Wilson was the writer who did say April is the cruelest month, and I'd like to thank that person for writing me and uh, letting me know that. That's good to know. I, I thought it was. It was just sort of hanging around the back of my mind, but you know you can be wrong in these things easy enough to let the important things slip. And I would like to salute a great wedding. Uh, one of our people, uh, you know, uh, weddings, I think, are genuinely slob art happenings. I'm talking about some weddings, not all weddings. So don't immediately, uh, I'm just saying some weddings are true slob art 
uh, happenings. I think it is. A, it would have to fit into the happening category. Good morning, Tony. How are you? And uh, I would like to salute a wedding. One of our our spies sent me a note. In fact, he sent me a uh, he sent me a clipping from a, an Alabama paper, the Ledger Inquirer, East Alabama Today. How about that for a name for a paper, friends? That takes care of the Times, you know, several times. If you notice that the bigger the newspaper, the shorter the name. The bigger and more important the newspaper, the shorter it gets. The Times. Uh, you go to London, the Times. These are, you know, great newspapers. You go to, uh, you go to uh, Europe, der Spiegel, that's all. They don't say, und der großen Spiegel mit der und geflaschenbu. Und sie gemütlichkeit. Yeah, they never see you know, the little papers do that. You know, it's, a, it's like little radio stations. The more nervous a radio station is about its actual place in the world, the more involved become the station breaks. Now, for example, one, two, three on your dial, where iron meets coal in the heart of the beautiful Lehigh Valley, the friendly spot on your dial, the family station, WKLNUCK. You know, this is a typical little. Tank operations. Oh, we'd like to salute uh, this uh, this uh, wedding here. Uh, speaking of uh, slob art, that's a fantastic slob art wedding was held in Alabama. You ought to know about it. It says one of the most unusual and elaborate weddings in the Chattahoochee Valley was held at the First Baptist Church in West Point, Georgia. It was a wedding the bride planning since her daughter's birth. Now, that's enough to make your hair curl right there when you think about that little ding dong right there. Details of the wedding came to light today. The wedding of Louise Golden and James C. Ramsey was performed by the bride's father, the Reverend Mr. Golden. There was some discussion between the pastor and the wife over whether the minister should wear formal clothes during the ceremony or a business suit. The Reverend Mr. Golden refused to wear formal clothes because, quote, it was not in the best Baptist tradition. And despite pleas from his wife, he stuck to his guns and wore a business suit. I like the way they report a wedding. Now, they even talk about the arguments that went on before it. <laughs> oh, no, the Times never does that. You, you notice the Times, it shows this girl with the hair brushed down in her forehead, and above it it says, Betrothed. And it says, uh, Helen Allerby Watson Smith, and that's a hyphenated name, the third, was today betrothed to Charles W. Snodgrass Smythe, the third, who joins his father's law firm after his graduation from Yale Law School. He is now on active duty as a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy. Now, they don't talk about the yelling and the screaming that went before that. They do not mention that when the old man heard that she was marrying that bum, that the old man threw a fit and they had to take, you know, that pour water on his head. <laughs> and the only reason he's getting into his father's law firm is that the poor guys, he's not only, you know, marrying this chick, but he's, you know, they're in a little trouble. And, uh, well, there's a lot of problems that they don't ever mention at the Times, but I like the way this newspaper here reports this wedding. The Reverend Mr. Golden refused to wear formal clothes. And uh, despite the pleas of his wife, he stuck to his guns and wore a business suit. Highlight of the wedding include, are you ready out there for any of you who are preparing a, uh, you know, a genuine... Slob art uh, festival in your wedding. Listen to this, man. If you haven't thought about this, listen to this one. Highlights of the wedding included a Cupid dressed in pink tights, complete with a bow and arrow, who shot the couple with no unfortunate results. <laughs> By the way, the poor guy that played the Cupid did not get a name credit. 
unfortunately. But I, I imagine by now he's glad he didn't. I mean, it would be pretty hard to live that down. As the wedding party left the church, a flock of white doves was released. Oh, boy. That is a goodie. Uh, it says apparently a lot of money had been spent on clothing for the bridesmaids and the flower girls. <laughs> there was a lot of marching in and around the church. <laughs> I like the way they report this thing. There was a lot of marching in and around the church. In fact, as the, <laughs> this reporter says, it was little more than a fashion parade. <laughs> a long musical program preceded the actual ceremony with solos, duets, and four-man choruses, as well as music from a hand-pumped organ. <laughs> Boy, this is Slav art in spades. It says the ceremony itself was of little note, but afterwards the wedding party and guests walked, quote, on a white covering that began in the church aisle and extended to the parsonage. The porch was enclosed with green blinds and the entire ceiling of each room, get this, the entire ceiling of each room in the parsonage was covered with smilax, that's a plant, isn't it? Yeah, it's a plant. And mistletoe hanging in little clusters in every room in the house. Well, uh, we'd like to salute that couple. I imagine they got off to a nice running start. Would you please give me a little uh, slobard salute there, please? Yes, sir. We, if we can find it, we will. Don't you worry about it. All right. In the good old summertime. Oh, the nuttiness gets out of hand. Yes, sir, me. It swings into high gear. The first day of the spring. In the good old summertime. The greasy slob art time. That's enough of that. We got That's enough of that. I think that's enough. We got to be it. Let's get a little more. Uh, what do you say we try for a little love? Uh, dignity around here tonight. After all, it's uh, midweek. I'm just uh, just acting silly. <laughs> oh, man. And friends, speaking of slob art, we take great pleasure in reporting that at long last, the slob art world is getting official recognition. Budaraki, Rudy Rudy Saki. Rokatukatuka, ding ding dong. Oh, Rudy, Rudy Rudy Saki. Hot shot, diggity dog. Hold it there. That's very good. Hey, we've got a little thing here. I'm really bugged. I bought a pair of new sunglasses, and five minutes later, I busted. I hit somebody in a mop. Boy, there's little things like that make you want to really kill people, you know? Really does. You know, big things you're kind of taking your stride. Earthquakes, all that stuff. But you go out, and you get a new pair. Those are nice, aren't they? You get a new pair of sunglasses, and pop. You bust the lens. Crying out loud. And I do not like plastic sunglasses. People who like plastic sunglasses also chew bubble gum. Oh, uh, here, we've got a little note here. Got to bring it out in the open here. It says, Shepard, I just wanted to tell you that it isn't worth the trouble to write Flick Lives on desks in school. Did you ever wash 250 desks with Ajax? 
<laughs> he says, yours in dishpan hands. The, <laughs> the phantom poet. <laughs> Unfortunately, kids, you aren't enough of a phantom. They caught you. Phantoms don't get caught, kid. Not real good phantoms. I'm in a second-rate phantom. It's going to get caught every time. Bump, bump, bump. The phantom strikes. Oh, uh, I have a little note here, another one of those little things. I'm, I'm collecting this stuff, you know, uh, little trivia things that uh, tell how our time was, the nuttiness of our time. Listen to this. Cambridge, Massachusetts. Four men and a New Jersey woman invaded a classroom at Harvard University yesterday, broke up a lecture by shouting and throwing papers around, and were arrested for trespass after fighting with University and Cambridge police. Three of the men were identified in court as students at Columbia studying for doctoral degrees in behavioral psychology. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to write a paper on their own behavior. You know? I'm just curious. Behavioral psychology. You know, uh, I had a friend, you know, the people who study psych are interesting people. I, had, I have a friend who is uh, on the staff of a big medical university. And uh, it's a medical college, and he's a doctor, very highly qualified, and he teaches a very interesting specialty, and he's world-renowned in his specialty, a very interesting character in his own right, see? And uh, he says that he and another one of his buddies who is on the same uh, faculty, uh, whenever a whole new crowd of guys come in, and they're about to, uh, you know, they've got their NBs, and they're, they're about to go on into a specialized training work, he says when a whole crowd comes walking in like 150 of them. They sit down in an auditorium. He and his friend lurk in the back, these two qualified expert doctors who have been teaching guys for years. They, they lurk in the back and they watch these this, this crowd and they make bet on which ones are going to, to uh, elect psychology or psychiatry as their field. He says, and they're hardly ever wrong. He says, always a tall, skinny guy with no fingernails. He's been chewing them all the way up to the elbow, see, who has a very pronounced twitch. He says, uh, <laughs> who sits throughout the lecture and makes little balls of paper, which he piles up in triangular piles, and once in a while squeaks uncontrollably. He says, that guy will invariably wind up an analyst. <laughs> he says, invariably. <laughs> Now, I'm just telling you what they say in the medical fraternity. Don't come around and, and start yelling at me about uh, your doctors. <laughs> Dr. Appleroth is really not like that. He's a wonderful man. Of course, he stabbed his wife, but I don't blame him, if you know her. <laughs> oh, the world is getting out of hand, you know. But the, here, here's a, two, three people <laughs> studying for doctoral degrees in behavioral psychology. <laughs> Daddy-o. Hey, listen, uh, this is a, a strange night here, trivia night here. Uh, you want to hear a real terrible pun? A real rotten, stinking pun? Now, you know that I don't like puns. <laughs> I don't, really. They leave me cold, really. Uh, here's one, though, that a guy, one of our spies, he says, uh, the one attached me is several notches better than the average. Now, you got to really listen to this one. It's a sneaky pun. And... Uh, you got to know something. The good kind of puns are the puns where it requires knowledge to get the, the point of the gag. Like, a, well, like a Buster contemplating a... <laughs> or Aristotle contemplating a home of Buster. That's not a bad pun. Here's one here for you. There were three 
pregnant squaws. You know, Indian types, there were three pregnant squaws who slept on animal skins. One slept on an elk skin, another on a deer skin, and the third on a hippopotamus skin. The first two squaws each gave birth to a son, while the third became the mother of twin boys. This proves that the squaw of the hippopotamus is equal to the sons of the squaws of the other two sides. <laughs> oh, you got to think about that one. This was published in a magazine called Geometry. <laughs> I repeat, the squaw of the hippopotamus is equal to the sons of the squaws of the other two sides. The other two hides, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you don't like that? Well, don't look at me mad. I didn't invent it. Ha-ha. I'm innocent. Dum -da -dum -dum. I'm innocent. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I got another one here. We want to... We wanna... This... this uh... This is a little painful here, I must say. Uh, this was from uh, from England. Somebody sent me this uh, an English paper. It says, I don't know whether the thanks are due to you, to Frank Hall, or myself. This is a clipping from paper. But the signs were put up very promptly, said Sean McManus, at a meeting of Silgo Corporation when he was com complimenting the borough engineer, Mr. D. McDermott, on the new signs placed on the public conveniences in the town. At the previous meeting, said the signs were not prominent enough, and he had seen a lady going into the jets. How did you follow that? Okay. Well, you know what I saw here about three months ago. I'm going to tell you a funny thing. We were, we were, we just saw it. All of us were sitting at a table, say, in a restaurant, and uh, this was in Manistee, Michigan. Now, I was up there doing this uh, a TV show in which I was fishing for coho salmon. It was actually a little longer than three months ago. It was uh, last fall, actually. And it was kind of cold out. And uh, the TV camera crew and myself and the director and a couple of other guys, we went to this restaurant. And it was the only action in town. And it was a real, uh, actually a very nice restaurant, really a groovy restaurant. See, but everybody in town was there because it was the only action in town. And uh, when you're in a town like Manistee, Michigan, and you find the only action in town, man, you, you hang on to it. You don't let it go. So uh, we're sitting in this restaurant, and we had a big round table. And we're all sitting at this table. Of course, the place is packed. Everybody around, it's uh, Saturday night, and everybody for miles around was there. And my old friend Claire Connolly was there, who's the editor of Field and Stream. And we're all sitting around this table. Well, we happened to be right near the place where they had these two doors, the ladies and the men's. But you know how some of these places get very cute? with the ladies' and the men's room signs? Well, these signs were really cute, cute signs. They were cutouts, these silhouette-type black cutouts. But what was so bad about it was that the cutouts were almost indistinguishable. You know, you, here was this man's cutout, and he was wearing a frock coat that had a big flaring coat at the back. It was a kind of a cutout of a, of a 17th-century dandy or an 18th-century dandy. had a big frock coat, and somebody had broken off the top hat. So you couldn't tell. See, just had like a big frock coat. And here, the other one, the ladies, was, you know, a lady with a big, she had a big skirt. But there it was, a skirt. But she had this big hair piled up. And they were both in cutouts. Well, we're sitting there. We're having our martinis. When uh, all of a sudden, I see a lady, a very, actually, a very pretty girl. See, she, she comes walking along this pass right by us there, wherever we're sitting. 
And by George, she goes right into the gentleman's room. <laughs> she goes into the men's room, boom, like that. And I said to the guys, hey, say, this chick just went in the men's room. And they all turn like that. See, and sure enough, they, you know, they see the door swing. I said, chick just went in there. So we sat there for a minute watching to see what would happen. Well, there was a pregnant pause of about five beats. When here's a little short, fat guy who, uh, <laughs> you know, was at the bar, and his face is kind of red. He comes waddling down the passage with a look of urgency about him. And uh, he comes up to the men's room. Wow, he goes in through the door, and he's gone. <laughs> now we're saying, now, wait a minute, let's see what's going to happen here. Now, we're watching the scene. <laughs> well, by George, he is not in there like three milliseconds. When four guys from inside the restaurant get up, and you can hear them talking and yelling, you know, they're paying their bill, they're going, when all four of them walk right into the men's room, and still no chick. Nothing. Well, this went on for about maybe ten guys go in there, and two or three of them come out, and they, they don't look unusual, they just come out, you know, they walk out, and they're blabbering away. I finally got the better of me, see? I went up to one of these guys, I said, hey... Uh, did anything unusual happen in there? So what do you mean? Well, I didn't want to. I said, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Nothing, man. Just forget it. Say. <laughs> I guess nothing did. Say. <laughs> well, we kept watching. And about 20 minutes later, you see this door slowly open. And boop, just like a shot, this chick comes flying out. And her face is the color of an old boiled beet. I want to tell you. She comes flying out. Well, well, we just couldn't help it. Instantly, the entire table breaks up. You know, you hear these all the yelling and guffawing. And, of course, we each had two martinis. Guys knocking the chairs over. And she looked. And she, she realized she'd been discovered. <laughs> the guys are yelling and hollering. And she went down that passageway like a, you know, like a bunny. Well, I sat there and I thought, I was the only one. I must say this, friends. In all honesty, I was the only one that did not laugh. And I'll tell you why. I did not laugh, friends. I don't know whether I ever told this story on the air. I shouldn't really tell it. But that happened to me one time. Only I was the victim. I was in this very official building right here in Midtown. And uh, let's put it this way. For the purposes of discussion, it's an official building on Park Avenue in the 50s. And it's one of these very hip buildings where... Uh, it's all glass, and it's sort of sitting up on stilts. And you come into the bottom down there, and you get in this elevator, and you go all the way up, and, and everything is music pouring out, and these very uh, chic-looking chicks come in and out of the elevator and all that. Well, I'm way up on about the 79th floor, I see. And I go into this office. Well, I'm talking to this guy about whatever cockamamie scheme that was being her perpetrated there. I don't even remember what it was about. If I had a dollar for every idiotic office I've been and uh, every uh, fugitive little cockamamie scheme that I've been approached with, you know, <laughs> I'd never have to take part in any schemes anymore. I just, you know, but I go into this place, and I'm talking to this guy, and uh, we finally finish whatever I had to finish, and uh, I get up, and I, I got my, I got a little briefcase, he was stuffing it, and I leave this office, and all of a sudden I get in the hall there, and there's absolutely nobody in the hall, nobody. It's one of these very chic-looking halls with the steel doors and indirect lighting and you can the music is coming out of the wall. Well, I look around and uh, I suddenly was uh, assailed. I better uh, look around for the facilities, you know? And <laughs> so I look around and I walk along this place 
looking for the place, you know. And, and here it is, all of a sudden, I come up to this door, and it's, the place is so chic that it's just marked with little zeros. Have you ever seen those? One zero or two zeros. You never saw that kind of. Look out for it, friend. It's just got a zero on the door, and the other one's got two zeros. Well, I, I, uh, I don't know what made me decide that this one with the zero there was the one, see? Uh, I, without thinking, I just, well, this must be it. So I go, pow, into, the, into this place. And, I, and there's nobody in there. It's a little one. A little, you know, so, and it's very nice. And, you know, it's everything. Well, I want to tell you, I, I, I have never moved in my life. I've never moved so fast. I, I, it was just a fantastic moment. I'm in there when all of a sudden the door, I could hear these two voices, and there's two women right outside the door. See, and I think they're going past when all of a sudden they stop, and, and I was lucky. They paused for a minute before they came in because one of them said, oh, is that right, Mabel? Well, you know, why don't you call Clarice? And the, I see the door swinging open, and I see this foot coming in. Ah! Oh! You know, I, 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 you know I, like a bunny, I quick into one of the stalls. <laughs> I slam the door to the stall, and I lock it, and I hop up. Now here I am inside, see, standing on his seat, see, looking around. You know... <laughs> Trap! Oh my God, no! So I'm up on this thing, and these two ladies come in, and they're talking away there, saying, "This is something I've always." Seen. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those secret uh, fears that we all have. See, and here I am in this place. Oh no! Oh no! And, and you know, I can imagine one of them screaming for the police, and the next thing you know, the wagon flying, and the guys with the lights and all that stuff, and people hit me on the head with truncheons and all. So I'm standing in there up on his things. And the door is locked, and one of them walks over and tries the door. Ooh, oh, no. Your door. And she says, well, the door, something's wrong with the door. So she goes, oh, God, oh, boy, I hope that lock holds. And she well, now, the next thing I thought, she's going to look in, you know, and they had a big, it had a big thing underneath. You see, you could stick your head and look right in there, you know. I figured I was going to see this head. But, no, she doesn't try it, see. For some reason, and it was only one stall in this thing. That's what made it interesting. See? So they're they're talking away in there, and and, uh, and water running, and you can hear combing hair and all that, and they're jabbering away. And then one of them says, "Well, I think I'm going to call the, the the guy. I'm going to call the maintenance department and see what they can do about the door." And the two of them walk out. See, who? There I'm standing. See, holy smokes! And the sweat is pouring down. I'm all dressed up. You know, I have my official suit on, my briefcase. <laughs> I could just see a little thing in the Times, you know, at the bottom it says, uh, pervert trapped in, in Seagram building, you know, that kind of stuff. Holy smokes. Or, or, or as Terry Southern would say, prevert trapped. So here I am in a chair. Oh, wow. And, and I, I hear these feet going, you know, how lady-type feet going, and they're walking down towards, you know, towards the elevator or someplace, and they disappear. Well, I said, i got to go now. Here I go. I start to go out, and then I hear... More feet coming. Oh, Jesus. Oh, another. Up I go back inside, up on the seat, and I lock it again. And the feet go. Right out past. Oh, wow. Holy smokeroonies. Well, there was a long, pregnant silence. I hear nothing out there. And now I open the door very carefully to this little, this little cubicle that I'm in. And I stand tiptoeing across over the tile floor, and it has a swinging door, very, very official-looking stainless steel swinging door. And 
I swing the door open. See, and I think I'm going to go out real quick. I swing out. I go out real quick, and then I, I'm, I'm walking, and I see these two women down at the elevator. They've been just standing there waiting for the elevator. I thought they were gone. So. And they both look. They don't say a word. They just look. One of them's a beautiful chick. See, they both look at me. And the, the elevator comes. I get in the elevator, and they, <laughs> three of us is one of these crummy automatic elevators, see, and there's the three of us, and they're all by ourselves now, see, and the two of them keep looking at me. At the, I smile. <laughs> nice day, isn't it? <laughs> at the, nothing. I get nothing but silence. Well, we reach the ground floor. Now, where these two were going, I don't know. We reach the ground floor. The sun is beaming down in the lobby. I walk out, and I can see the two of them watching me as I go out of the Park Avenue. I could hear those two talking. Can't you just in your mind? Uh, for for an hour, I could hear. You know, I go I go across out of the chock full of nuts. You know, I'm trying to drown my sorrows now in in the butterscotch brownies. I'm sitting there in the chock full of nuts, and I could hear them saying, oh, "It's just terrible. What you, you just you never can tell. The most respectable looking types are the worst kind." And uh, did you see what he did? And you notice he didn't bat an eye. He, obviously, he does this all over town. He's that kind of... <laughs> What's even worse, you know, I can see myself some night like, a, like I'm on the Merv Griffin show, see, <laughs> or the Steve Allen show, and one of them says, Mabel, that's the one we saw. <laughs> you <know>? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, we have a lot to answer for. Bring it up. Summertime. In the good old summertime, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going to happen again in the good old summertime. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. That's enough. How much time do I have? What? One and a half minutes? Is that all? I was just getting warmed up. Oh, yeah. Well, I just wanted to warn you, uh, uh, fellow victims out there, just keep a very sharp eye open. I mean, uh, haven't you run into those ones with the, with the little uh, circles on the door there? Oh, yeah. Uh, they go for this stuff in Europe a lot. One of the one of, one of the things, the little funny things on the door. One of the things that you really got to get used to in, in Europe is to come into the gentleman's room and find that there was a lady in there. You ever done that? Oh yeah, they 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 just working in there. They just you know they're there, there and they have a little dish and you give them a tip. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Did you know that? Well, for those of you who don't do a great deal of traveling and or are not male, you have not run into that, have you? I don't know why men have to... <laughs> it's just the way. It is the truth. Especially in the old Germany. This is very common. France, very much. Italy, very much. A lady in there. She's just sick. Usually she's sitting there with her daughter, who's 15. Yeah, that always helps. And the two of them are sitting in there, you know, just totally unconcerned. Now you, yeah, that's just it's a little concession. Now, I don't know what they do. You have to give them, uh, like, three drobnecks when you leave, or, or two and a half kopecks when you walk out. But there they are, see? This is very common. Now, I don't know whether in the ladies' rooms in these countries they have a large gentleman with a handlebar mustache. They have to tip to get out. I don't know. 
See, most things are one way. <laughs> Bring it up there, Lodge. All right, then. I don't know how life is. You just got to learn how to live it, that's all. You have to learn how to be cool on top of it, hang on to the handlebars, and uh, keep your tires inflated, too. Make sure that your nose is kept down, and uh, give them a little silhouette. Uh, that'll help, too. And uh, in the meantime, uh, I mean, if your knee continues to bother you, well, all right. Drop us a note, and we'll see what we can do about it. But uh, I hope it's getting better. Me too. And, uh, gee, what else? Oh, I notice your skin is clearing up. That's kind of good. Of course, you know what they say about that. I'm not going to be the first to say it, but if, uh, they do say that. I'm not saying I believe it, but they say it. Something to think about anyway. So uh, hang loose, friends. It'll be all right. <laughs> 